Hello, and welcome to another edition of the International Writers Collective Masterclass Series. In each masterclass, recorded live in Amsterdam, working writers talk tips, tricks, and techniques with a focus on a single novel, short story, or handful of poems. In this edition, we speak with Irish writer and editor Rebecca O'Connor. Rebecca's novel, He Is Mine and I Have No Other, came out in 2018. She's also an award-winning poet and editor of the literary magazine, The Moth. In the class, we look at her novel, dip briefly into her poetry, and also discuss her work as an editor. Topics covered include the importance of setting, the challenges of capturing a teenage voice, the charms of the epistolary novel, the value of a good beta reader, why you shouldn't give up on that drawer novel just yet, plus some tips for those who'd like to see their work published in The Moth, and much more. Welcome, everybody. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Sarah Carragher, director of the International Writers Collective. And we're delighted to welcome Rebecca O'Connor here tonight. She's an award-winning poet and novelist, and with her husband, Will Govin, she founded and directs the acclaimed literary magazine, The Moth. And there are copies on the front table if you want to peruse it at some point. And offshoots of The Moth include The Caterpillar, which is a children's magazine, they also have a short story prize, an art prize, and a 10,000 euro poetry prize, which is the largest poetry prize in the world for a single poem. Is that one right? of them anyway? Yeah. Yeah. It's big. Yeah. Anyway, it's really big. <laughs> so today we're going to be looking at craft um, in, her, in her debut novel. Uh, he is mine and I have no other. And we will have copies uh, of the book for sale if you want after, and you can get it also signed. We'll also be talking more generally uh, about uh, writing and publishing and Rebecca's work as editor of The Moth as well. And also a little bit of a warning, it can be difficult to talk about the novel without some spoilers, but it's not its not really a spoilery type, type of book where if you know what happens that it really changes things significantly for you. Well, there's, there's one particular thing in the book, I think. That, that you would like yeah, to keep. Uh, to do with the title. Uh, which okay. I usually try to keep to myself. But I didn't <laughs> you notice I did not ask about the title in the notes. So that was your question. Okay. All right. Well, maybe you can ask it afterwards. <laughs> okay. So for those who haven't read it yet, how would you describe what the novel is about? Um, so it's... Uh, Set in rural Ireland in the 1990s. It's a kind of teenage psychodrama, I suppose. Uh, Lainey Devine is a 15-year-old girl. And <coughs> she she notices a, this boy, this mysterious boy, walking past her house every day and he's visiting his mother's um, grave. Um, she becomes besotted with him, um, as you so easily do when you're a teenager, you know, without speaking to him or, you know. Anyway, she, she eventually um, tracks him down at a school disco and... They get together, but it's a very fraught relationship, and uh, you know, made uh, more so by his his feelings about what happened to his his mother. Um, and running throughout the story is uh, the, the story of some um, girls who died in the fire in, in the 1940s in the local town. Now, this story I I, I took from real life. So where I grew up in, in Cavan, there was a, there was an orphanage and. The girls were, the 35 girls were, died in this fire because the nuns at the time wouldn't let them out in their night clothes. Didn't want them to be seen by the locals who were trying to save them. 
So, uh, so that's there's a there's a that story runs through the book as well. Basically, Lainey's aunt, um, who has written has written a story about the girls and has tried to give them a, give them a voice. So throughout the book, there are little sort of um, vignettes I call them where you hear you hear the the those voices of the of the girls. Yeah. Yeah. So what made you want to tell this story? So initially I wanted to, so I wrote this book like um, many years ago. I was in my late 20s and uh, I wanted to write what I thought was a sort of conventional novel, I suppose, but mm-hmm. but with real emotional kind of uh, punch, you know, and, and I wanted to write about adolescent love because I think it's a, you know, a profoundly difficult and exciting time in people's lives and... Uh, so my first image for the book was of this this boy walking along the road. I could see him very clearly, and that you know I carried that around for a long time. the 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 story of the orphans, like I say, was a true story. So it had a. I read about it when I was about twelve years old, so it had a, a huge effect on me at that age. And so, the, they came into the book. The story was in the book in the first draft, but it, it, they gradually creeped in more and more as I went went back and redrafted it. So I. I that those voices weren't there initially. The story was there, but not the actual, you know, first-person voices. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just felt compelled to, because there wasn't that much. There's still not that much said about that. That uh, you know, that tragedy in Ireland. Um, so you know, I wanted to let people know. About it, really. That that really really puzzled me because I was wondering, what if I would skip all the? What if I would yeah. read a book skipping? Um, those pages. You, you could skip those. You could skip it, but for me, I suppose it was kind of the emotional thing. It was like the sense that you know, Lainey is going through this, what she thinks is this big drama in her life, and I wanted what she's experiencing to contrast with with their lives. Mm-hmm. So she really, she's in a very comfortable place. She's in a loving family, and that's what the book about as well is. It's about familial love as well, and she, so she has she has all of that. And you know that she's going to ultimately she's going to be okay. And I wanted that to contrast with the lives of these girls who are, you know, range in age from, say, 8 to 16 or 17. Um, so it's really more of a kind of a, a poetic thing, I suppose, uh, rather than a, it being... That's what I was wondering. I was yeah. wondering, do you want to write this? Did you decide to write the story about the offered and taken the love story of a teenager as a as the background and the other way around yeah no the love story was the first was the thing and and, and particularly the love story with this boy who has this particular uh, family background that as well which I don't want to give away but yes but the, the, and the, the effect of that that's had on him and, and has on you know so it's really I mean the whole thing is really about the effects that the past has had on these young people you know and how it, uh, you know because I really feel that strongly that uh, any kind of trauma carries carries on through generations. So, I wanted to explore that. Yeah. What? Well, so, what was the first scene that you wrote? Was it the scene of him walking along? The yeah, that was it. Yeah. That, it was yeah. the that opening scene, and that never changed. So, so the opening scene has always been the opening scene. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, sorry about the title. Did yeah. you know it ahead of time? Or? Yeah, that came very early as well. Um, and then you used it at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it changes your your kind of understanding of what the book's about in a way. Yeah. I think. Yeah. 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 I mean, maybe let's just go ahead and read that uh, first chapter since it's only only short. He used to walk by our house every day at the same time, up past Molly's Lane to the cemetery. No one took any notice of him, so I didn't much either. I went up there most days after school. It isn't far, 
About two minutes up the road, past a derelict cottage where wrens nest and tufted sedge grows out the windows. Past a car park, big enough for 20 or 30 cars. They parked right down by our house, in on the grass verge for the bigger funerals. There were people who went to every funeral in the parish, the same familiar faces time and again, quietly chatting to one another as they strolled behind the hearse. But he wasn't one of those. I thought I knew the place like the back of my hand, the stories behind certain graves, like the orphans who died in the fire in town, all piled in together, 35 of them without names, and next to them two separate graves for the nuns. Little framed ghosts in their Holy Communion outfits with their jaundiced, freckled faces. Names worn away, railing plots with white thorn and wild rose, black-flecked marble, old plastic wreaths with moulding notes of love and condolence. It's on a steep hill that leads down to the main road. At the top of the hill is a large stone cross on a block of slate. High black brambles behind that, thick with blackberries in late September, and behind those fields for pasture. The prettiest plots are up there still, blanketed in snowdrops and early spring primroses and bluebells in May. It's always cold, even in summer. The wind feels like it comes from off the dark surfaces of the lakes. I imagine sometimes I could see the sea off in the distance, though the coast is over a hundred miles away. An ink-dark line of yew trees runs down on the left along the path from the car park. Down the middle of the cemetery is an unsheltered shale path and a smaller muddy track seamed with dock leaves and grass, cuts to the right through the older part. I convinced myself there were splints of bone and teeth I could feel through the rubber soles of my shoes, small as chicken bones, some of them, like those of children's hands or feet. A lone farmhouse stuck to the top of a field beyond the road used to offer the only glimmer of light between there and the next town over. The first time I noticed him was one of those evenings that sucks the light slowly out of things. He was off in the far corner, almost blotted out by the shadow of the trees. I sat still as anything beneath the stone cross, my knees pulled up to my chest, watching him, waiting for him to leave, but at the same time not wanting him to. He stood there for what seemed an age, his figure elongating, expanding in the darkness. Then he turned, scraping the heels of his shoes on the gravel, and walked towards the gate. No sign of the cross, no genuflection. I was frightened of him in a way of his grief, his loneliness. He looked like the loneliest person on earth just then. I imagined he was the type of boy who wondered about things, as I did, who broke his heart wondering about things, who felt inexplicably lonely hearing voices in the next room, or cattle off in the distance, or the sound of tyres on the driveway. It's so lovely, but so dark. <laughs> I mean, it's an unusual, an unusual beginning to a love story. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, did all did you have all of those very dark details from the very beginning? Or um, I suppose. So. I mean, I suppose at the time I didn't feel like I was writing a very dark kind of. People have described it as like gothic, you know, with the. I can see that. <laughs> um, I didn't feel that. I, I think my writing tends to be just a bit kind of melancholy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the verging on on dark, mm-hmm. so um, I think that's just the uh, and to, yeah, to me, yeah, but look, to me, it was a kind of she's a kind of she's a she is a kind of sad, lonely mm-hmm. um, teenager. She's not a, a gregarious or extrovert or whatever. You know, she's shy and she's sensitive and uh, anxious, anxious. And yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. Things Particularly knowing deeply. about well, she'd be grown up next to a graveyard, knowing that this is this has happened. It's kind of weighs yeah. down on her, you know. Um, 
Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think that I think it's very effective. Also, I mean, how you've introduced the the orphans, the little ghosts um, from the very beginning, and in a way, they continue to kind of haunt mm. haunt the novel as mm. well as the as the main character. But yeah, as I was reading it, I was really struck by those details, like the old plastic wreaths with moldering notes of love and condolence, and the wind off the lake, and it's dark and it's cold, and it mm. it sort of sets the mood for the whole for the whole novel in a way I felt like Mm. so yeah so you weren't really aiming necessarily for that kind of gothic feel but no but it's but also at the time I was you know so this novel is very much set in the place where Mm. I grew up and uh, uh, in in this small town in Ireland and uh, I was writing it I was in a very lovely place I was in Oxford I was working there as an editor and uh so that I was trying to evoke that place, and that that's <laughs> that's how it was. Yeah, yeah. I was going to um, ask how how important you feel setting is to the novel. Um, I think it's kind of intrinsic to me. Well, my my first thing is to uh, the thing that I'm concerned with is is character. I'm not. I don't feel like I, I uh, describe scenes or you know describe uh, go into great great detail um in, in describing things but so i'm really thinking uh, my main concern is character and the atmosphere around that character mm-hmm. so in that sense the setting is very important so it's really reflecting her mood as well and her you know her feelings so um yeah so in the so like you say it's dark and it's watery and it's cold and that's you know it all kind of fits with how she's Oh, she's feeling she's as feeling well, yeah. yeah, and and it is it's sort of contagious as you mm. as you as you read the novel as well. Um, I was feeling uh, starting <laughs> to feel a bit starting to feel a bit chilly, <laughs> and I think I mean you've done such a great job of capturing how fraught being a teenager is, and although I think the juxtaposition that you have there of the stories of the orphans, which are heartbreaking definitely puts her own you know her own struggles in a different light but there's still you know we still get the feeling of that they are very much um real for her and I think for me you know it I found some of it quite difficult to read because it did sort of conjure up those early years of that were just so horrible like trying to figure out sex and boys and I mean and and the descriptions you have of those, like the school dance is described as a room full of evacuees with no exit in danger of suffocating. And the boy himself is described as she says the first time she actually meets him, she says he smelled faintly of sweat and greasy, unwashed hair. She loves that. <laughs> but yeah, no, so I, I find it excruciating as well. Yeah. But I, ha- I had to. So I, I've, re- I've read things like that out before. I remember reading last year and it was... They'd asked me to read for 20 minutes, so oh, I had this whole, the whole disco scene, and mm-hmm. I was just like, oh, never going to get through this. <laughs> it was so excruciating. I still find it difficult, but I, I felt like I had to, uh, as much as it makes me cringe, it had to. Well, I mean, you be authentic. Because you take, I mean, you take the reader there as well. I think it taps into all of our, you know, all of that teenage angst that we all, I mean, pretty much Mm -hmm. everybody experienced, right? It wasn't just me, was it? Oh, yeah, and that's, there was this this scene where they, where they're making out outside and he's, she says, one cold hand moved under my t-shirt and slipped under my bra, pinching my nipple until it stung slightly. And I'm like, oh, Oh. (laughs) yeah. (laughs) 
just really, yeah. you really captured that very, very <laughs> well. Kind of broken, yeah. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Did you ever consider writing it in anything other than a first-person narrator, or was that voice no, pretty I much there no, from the very beginning? Be first person, and mm-hmm. I, I love first person. Actually, I've written a few books since that that mm-hmm. aren't yet published, but. Um, uh, I love writing in first person because I feel like I can just kind of step into the character mm-hmm. um, and really, you know, really get stuck into that character. Yeah. So yeah. it's the immediacy and that the feeling yes, of really yeah. being able to see everything, mm-hmm. everything through their through their eyes. Mm-hmm. Another thing that struck me as really interesting about the book is that it does it is in some ways an epistolary novel. Mm-hmm. Um, which you don't see so much anymore, and I guess we will be seeing less and less of in these days of constant uh, constant communication. Mm. So with the letters that are exchanged between the narrator and Leon, is that an idea that you had from the beginning, and what did you feel that brought to the, brought to the novel? Um, I love letters in mm. books, uh, or, or emails, or anything like that, where it's mm-hmm. kind of it's playful, and it's just, uh, I, and, and somehow it brings a kind of immediacy to it as well. It feels more real somehow when you mm-hmm. read a letter in a novel, and you're like, this is, you know, and that is based on my, my own experience of, of mm-hmm. writing as a, I, as a teenager, and you write the, I mean, that was a big thing for me as uh, growing up, writing letters. Mm-hmm to boyfriends or to my granny or whatever but they were really like intent you you say things in a letter that you wouldn't say you know to somebody in person so um, i kind of like that yeah there's a there's a real intensity and (laughs) yes to to their exchanges that if you'd put them in dialogue i think it would have felt over the top (laughs) yeah exactly and it's all kind of and you say they're so kind of erotically charged but they want to say stuff but they're not able to say it uh, and they're certainly not able to say it in person so they get closer to it in letters than they ever would in real life that's I mean I mean maybe that's to do with uh, the Irishness of the book as well Mm. Irish people aren't very good at expressing themselves Um, you know I thought no the, the gift of the Irish was the the gift of gab. Am I no, I've been misinformed? <laughs> they can talk. I mean, they can talk the banter, but actually, I mean, talking talking honestly. Honestly, yes, okay, yes, yeah, yeah, it's a difference. Sure. Yeah, well, and it does. Yeah. I think it adds an additional drama to the book as well because. Mm. You know, she sends off a letter, and then she has to wait uh, to see yeah. how yeah, to yeah. see how he responds. Yeah, and that's how so, it was. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah back before the back days of the emails day. and texts and yeah. IMs and yeah. all of that. Yeah. yeah, and there's a there's a real excitement to that as well, of course. Yeah, you know, so that's all kind of gone. Yeah, um, yeah, and, and yes, a danger, yeah. I'd say, and a danger because of the distance, because of the. the you yes, because it's you somehow have to cover. You yes. can't read a face. And yes, they're in conversation. Mm-hmm. You have to try to cover for the eventual yes. responses. And it's, and it becomes a kind of fiction in itself. Yeah, that's right. doesn't yeah. it? You're, so you're writing to somebody who's. It's a kind of an idealized version of yeah. the person yeah. in your head, yeah, and an idealized version of yourself writing writing the letters. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it is dangerous in that sense. Yeah. yeah. We end up talking a lot in our courses about narrators. So you have a first person narrator here, but. I found it interesting that there is a little bit of distance mm. chronologically between the narrator and the story she's telling. She's, it's a memory that mm-hmm. she's giving us. I remember the first mm-hmm. time I saw him or, you know, I don't remember the details of the first time I had sex. What do you think that distance gave you? Why, um, not, why not set it right in the moment? 
good question. And I, don't, I, <laughs> I don't know. I suppose uh, I wanted her to, her voice to be slightly mature. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not, you know, she's only maybe 17, 18. Mm-hmm. And she has this bundle of letters in her hand, yeah. and, which reminds her of, of you know. Um, but uh, uh, it, it allows her a little bit more empathy as well. Mm-hmm. So she's there's a slight distance, so she could she could she's starting to see the the kind of uh, importance of her family and yeah. to see to understand what Leon went through and mm-hmm. to feel the profound profundity of what happened to those girls. So I think that's why she needed that little bit of yeah um, distance. Yeah, and it, and if you had put her right into the moment, moment, it could feel maybe a little too overwrought because mm. she is feeling things so yeah. Yeah. intensely, yeah. potentially. But it still does sound like quite a young mm. voice. Mm. And was that difficult to yeah, pull it's off? Di- it's, it, yeah, it's difficult because, like you say, it's kind of embarrassing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> oh, yeah, you're, yeah. Uh, it, it makes you feel uncomfortable as a writer. You, you almost want to say to the reader, I don't really, you know. <laughs> this isn't me. This isn't me. <laughs> um, of course it is me, but um, yeah, it's uncomfortable. But you have to be honest. Yeah. You have to be true to that character. So um, so how did you, I mean, how did you get yourself there? How did you, how did you get in contact with that voice? I, I find it quite easy at the time. I don't, mm. I mean, I, I, like I say, I was in my 20s. So, and I was living away from home. So I was very, probably homesick as well. But I was very much able to <clears throat> remember those feelings. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, be, I was able to s- kind of step back into that kind mm-hmm. of world. Like, say, that atmosphere, being a teenager. Mm. Um, I'm not sure I'd be able to do it now as well. Yeah. Know. Did you look at your old letters yeah. for inspiration? <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> yeah, because like you said, you're saying the letters are a bit overblown. And I remember having yeah. a discussion with my editor about that, where she was a bit, yeah. some of the things she was like, oh, we maybe need to, you know, bring that in a little bit. But, I, you know, honestly, looking at the letters I had written at the time, I was like, no, that's pretty, that's pretty much <laughs> how, how, we, how we wrote. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, I, I, yeah. I, it, it felt very authentic mm. to me, I have to say. Mm. We had a question over there. Oh, yeah. I'm also from a small town in Ireland. Oh yeah, we're about <laughs> in County Leash. Oh, Leash, okay. Um, so the what you read didn't seem very dark to me either. I was just about to ask you, did you use your letters um, from when you were a teenager? Did you read back? So yeah, I read back over them. Just to, I didn't obviously use them verbatim, but I, um, yeah. I, I, I drew on them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So you still have them? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, yeah, and I had a a journal that I kept as a teenager as well, where I wrote all sorts of. It wasn't a diary. It was just like you know my dreams and my whatever particular guy I was in love with at the time. Mm-hmm. All the details mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. So all of that, I, I'm sh- I would have read through that at the time as well, and cringed and like, you know, yeah. and then tried to capture that cringe <laughs> on the page. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. You have a lot of different strands in this novel. Mm-hmm. So there's the the love story. Um, there's you know, Lainey's also dealing with her parents who are having another baby late in life. She was an only child, and um, and suddenly her mom's having a having a kid, which really throws her for for a loop she gets kicked out of her old room and then there's the story of the grandmother and Lainey's aunt Celia mm-hmm. uh, who ends up 
being, well, kind of taken away, actually, mm-hmm. uh, when she was a child. And then, of course, Leon's tragic story, which mm-hmm. we will try not to give away the details of. And then, of course, the, the orphans who died in the fire. So that's a lot going a on. Book, and, yeah, and it's a small book as well. Yeah. But, I mean, I wanted to get the sense of it being a... Uh, uh, you know, uh, life fully lived and, and mm-hmm. life is messy like yeah. that. And like I said earlier, that I, I wanted to, so it's kind of layered and I wanted that sense of the past uh, always being present and mm-hmm. always affecting the current generation. So hence the, the grandmother's story and Leon's father's yeah. story and, you know, so on. Yeah, it struck me as I was reading and it, and it really, it made me start thinking about my own writing. I was like, what could I do with that? That, um, you know, the people who aren't there mm. have so much impact on the story itself, like the, like the aunt and the, and the orphans. Mm. And of course, uh, Leon's mother. Um, and so I thought that was, that, that was something that really made me think as a writer, like that's really mm. interesting, interesting to explore. <laughs> So did you have all those strands in there from the very beginning, more or less, or did some come in later? Uh, and no, they were all, the, I mean, the, the main thing was the love story mm-hmm. between Lainey and Leon. I had uh, the, 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 the the aunt actually in, in the book, um, you know, appear, uh, not just mm-hmm. be there in the background. Mm-hmm. And that was, a, that was the one thing that was wrong with the book, for, you know, like I... I I wasn't happy with the, the draft that I had. This is going back years when I'd uh, written it. And uh, so I put it away for 10 years. And when I took it out, that was the that was the thing that was taken out. Uh, I was going to ask yeah, you. Yeah, so she becomes just a background. She's in the background. I think because there was so much going on in the book, it was too much to then have her, uh, you know, her impact on the family as well. Right. You know, she works better as an absence yeah, as a, yeah, than yeah. as a presence. Yeah. And... I mean, how did you approach weaving all these different strands together? Did you did you ever use an outline, or was it fairly organic? I, just, um, I, I, I think I probably had a vague outline in my head, mm-hmm. um, but it would it wouldn't have been anything too rigid because I wanted to, you know, go with the flow and see what mm-hmm. was going to happen. But mm-hmm. uh, like I said, the, the the orphans' voices came later. Mm-hmm. That story was there, but the. They, they came into it more maybe the second or third draft yeah yeah maybe yeah. we could read um one of those i was thinking maybe one of the shorter ones like deirdre which starts on page 135 deirdre eight i had special shoes my mummy bought me Special shoes and a ribbon for my hair and my mummy said that i was a great girl and that i would be a champion irish dancer one day I was doing it every day. I do it every day here, out in the yard, jump threes, hop threes, sidesteps. Mother Carmel beats me if she sees me doing it wrong, so I try not to, but sometimes I make a mistake by accident. My daddy was a man with no backbone. That's what my mummy told me. I never saw him myself. He must have looked queer. He probably walked like old Peter, who was bent over so far he talked to the floor. Old Peter came around every day and my mummy would always give him a cup of tea and some bread. His head would be almost touching the table. I liked watching him trying to eat like he was a dog. Sometimes I felt sorry for him, but most of the time I'd just be practicing my hot threes. 
The father of Jack, my youngest brother, would come around as well, and I used to want him to be my father as well, instead of the man with no backbone who never even came to see me. He panted a lot when we were all in bed, me and Jack and the other, the other wee ones. Panted and grunted. He must have been thinking we were all asleep, but none of us were. We were laughing under the blanket. It sounded like he was going to the toilet for a long time. One time I came home from school and Mammy was lying on the floor in the kitchen. There was a smell of chicken giblets. It looked like she'd been lying there so long she got hungry and decided to eat her own tongue. The baby was roaring, crying. She just had a funny turn, that's all. Me and my brothers and sisters are all going back when she gets better. Jack's daddy said he would look after her, and I promised him I would look after my sisters, but I'm not really allowed to talk to them. I won a silver medal for Irish dancing at the Fesh, and the nuns made me give it to them to make a crown for the statue of Our Lady. When I win the gold medal, I will take it home and give it to my mammy, and she will make me brown bread and jam and butter to celebrate. <sighs> yes. Um... <clears throat> Another thing I thought was working so well in the novel was how you were able to give these stories really from that child perspective. And then as a reader, we're seeing so much more than they are into the story. So there's that sort of tension between the reader's perspective and the, and the child's perspective. I thought that was... Yeah, because there's a kind, there's a sense of the well, you get obviously get a sense of the abuse uh, mm -hmm. of the children. Yeah, um, and they're and they're yeah, jars so much with their innocence. It's yeah, yeah, and it's nice how the stories mm -hmm. also aren't just standing alone. They they all kind of interrelate relate. So you get a picture of you know, the, the different relationships between the kids and the nuns and, and kind of different perspectives on, on their world. Um, did you, I mean, did you have like this set of, um, initially of the, of the children's stories, the orphan stories, or, I mean, did they sort of grow or expand? No, they just, like, so they just kind of came to me. I just mm -hmm. had the, uh, suddenly after, you know, whatever few drafts in, I thought, Okay, I, I need I need to do something more with this, and I mm -hmm. sat down, and the, the, they all just they, they all came to me very um, easily, mm -hmm. really. Like I said, I I had read that book about the, the this book uh, that was written about them um, in the nineties when I was about twelve, and uh, there were details in that book that just stayed with me, you know. Mm -hmm. And so, but it, it felt to me like these these girls were real when I was writing yeah. it. Yeah. So. And I'd heard stories in the town, you know, people had told me stories of people they knew who'd been to the school and all that, so it did feel very real. So mm. did you do any research other than that? No, I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. No, because I had enough material, I think, just, for, you know, just those uh, so particularly vivid images of, you know, um, like the girls making... I'm trying to think of it. I can't think of an example now, but yeah, or the hoops up against the wall. You know, these mm -hmm. images that really stuck yeah. with me, um, like the girls making dolls' clothes out yes, of the wrappings and wrappers for yeah. sweets and things like that. So there was enough there for me to to work with. Yeah, and I wanted it to stay like that. That it was, it was still still fiction, you know, and and uh, like I say, it's, I suppose it's a kind of a a poetry in the book as well. Mm -hmm. they're, they're kind of poems in a sense. Mm -hmm. so, um, I, I wanted to ask you as well about your poetry because you you run awards for your poetry. You have um, a couple of uh, poetry collections published. Um, so how 
how is fiction, writing fiction, different than writing poetry for you? And how do you feel like the two kind of <laughs> relate in your practice? So fi- with fiction for me, like I say, it's it's very much about character and uh, I love getting into character. And in a funny kind of way, poetry is imagining myself, you know. It's like, mm-hmm. well, my poems are very uh, sort of domestic and they're about things in my life. But it, but it's a kind of, uh, in, in my poetry, it's a kind of fictionalized version of my life. And I like imagining and, and, and sort of turning it on its head a bit and mm-hmm. so it becomes a bit more surreal I suppose the poetry but how there I mean there are different I don't know I've been writing poems since I was about like seven years old I think so to me it's just a thing that I do I don't uh, and and then I, the, 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 the fiction came along shortly after that so I, I find it very difficult to compare and contrast mm-hmm. you know <laughs> they're different things I also I also write songs and uh Music would have been the first love, and then poetry, and then the fiction. And then so they fiction kind of, last. And they feed into each other, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and I go, I, I'm not, I go through phases. I can't write fiction and poetry at the same time. So I'm very much in fiction mode mm. and obsessing over, uh, like, the, say, character and that character's story. And then I'm not likely to write poetry because poetry, you have to be kind of very receptive like open to what's kind of happening around you you know um like more like a maybe more like a, a painter or an artist mm-hmm. yeah. could could you elaborate on that a little bit I'm, I'm, i've been puzzling myself about the the, the the difference in in language that you allow yourself to use one allows oneself to use as a poet, in poetry and as fiction a, as a prose writer yeah. a fiction writer and a difference as well between long and short fiction. To me, it's no different. I mean, I, I you're, <clears throat> I'm very conscious of the line when I write when I write fiction as well, mm. and you know, and the space around, right. you know, and and I like to, to pair everything back as much as possible. Um, uh, in poetry, I suppose you're you're conscious of how it actually looks on the page as well. Yeah. Whereas um, you're not concerned with that in fiction so much. Mm. Um, so and like I say, your the the fiction is more. There's obviously it's more plot driven. Poetry, you don't need to worry so much about plot. You're worrying about uh, there's got to be some turn in a poem or whatever to make it interesting. Um, but you, no, it's 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 not plot driven. So. How how do you approach plot? I think it's it's one of the things that you know that we see the students in our courses yeah. often. In a very kind of organic kind of way, I think I just start mm-hmm. with a vague notion of a, like, say, like the image of this boy walking up to the mm-hmm. area. And then I, you know, might read something and think, oh, that's to do. And then it, it's like, it's like a kind of, a, I feel like a, I'm investigating, mm-hmm. you know, and then, and then it starts to fit these pieces together. And I get like kind of obsessed about the thing and, uh, uh, and the plot grows like very, very slowly, like that. My, I, m- I might walk around for a year before I sit down to to write a book. I don't research really. I might read a few books. I'm not into heavily researching, but I am. But I will think about that character for a long time before uh, I write about them mm-hmm. and think about what's. I think about their background a lot. Like say, I like kind of psychodrama. I like thinking why, what motivated that person mm-hmm. to behave that way, or why, why are they doing that? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. actually, so actually, I understand the process. 
in, in this in this book um, is it was an image and from that image there was not a story there was not something because at the same time there was also the story of the orphanage because actually there are lots of, of as, as that was one of the things that puzzled me is that I kept um, very uh, motivated to continue reading while indeed there were so many um, almost um, diversions you know, the secrets, secret. Mm, there are lots mm, of secrets yeah, in this yeah, book. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, the aunt, there's a secret, the secret yeah. of the family, there's the secret about the boy. There's so many secrets, so it's very tempting to want to know more about about the secret, and then you get, you, it's, it would be very easy to get completely off track from, uh, you know, the love story between... Yeah, but between, I, I, so it's quite interesting. Yeah, I think I, I think this really a small a small place like Ireland functions like that mm. with lots of secrets. I don't know how you feel about that, but um, things are left unspoken, or you know, because uh, it would be very difficult for them to function otherwise. You don't want you know. Um, everybody has got some kind of a secret. Every family has got something, you know, uh, and. Uh, and so I was interested in that, but I mean that that, that and I, but I was also particularly interested in Leon's, Leon's background. And you haven't read the book, you know that you know. So yeah, so yeah, I was interested in, in 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 which, him, which is for me still a very qu big question mark at the end. Because yeah. I really I don't understand how that is possible. What what that, that I don't know without giving too much no, away. No, 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 no. <laughs> So I think I'm going to ask you after. I have no ask me. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, so I heard an author recently he was talking about how, for his stories and novels, he said he like collects lint. Like he has an idea, and then he just kind of like sits on it. He doesn't try to make it a story. He just lets it mm. sit, and he tries to like put little bits of lint together. Like, oh, maybe that'll fit. Mm. And I was wondering, this story with the orphanage. Did you know from the beginning? I, I'm not sure if you said already, but did you know that those pieces of lint, so to speak, went together, or did you have them kind of sitting separately to to stew? Yeah, I think they were there. They were hanging around all the time, and then just they, they were. It's like that was pressing on me that they had to give them mm -hmm. more to say or let them speak yeah. rather than it just being like this kind of background story. Because you were sitting on the orphanage one for a long time. Yeah, I mean that was all that was there right from the start. You know. Did you? Um, have stories or poems or something where you felt like that might be the one where the orphanage came no no that was definitely it like yeah. i say it was it was my first it was my first book and uh well i tried to write one before but it was like you know so it was my first novel and you want to it's like you're kind of pouring a lot into mm -hmm. the first book you know and like i say uh that was that was a profoundly affecting thing for me as a child so i wanted it i wanted to write about it mm -hmm. did you think of the title or was it someone else who thought of it after they? Yeah, no, I, I knew the title early on because it's something that, uh, you know, is said in the book. So, uh, and like I say, that, that slightly turns the, the book around. Turn, Very you know. much so. <laughs> was it liberating to tell the story about the orphans? Because you said that it was something that happened in your town, you've been sort of growing up with and it was an unspoken or undeveloped story as it was to be you know but it seems that uh, together with the uh, main character seems 
if I'm not too pretentious in saying that, it seems that it's haunted you as well. So was mm. it a sort of cathartic experience? Yeah, it was actually. Yeah, because it did haunt me because the, the, the grave the grave was there, the unmarked grave. They finally put the names on it when I was grown up. And uh, and it's still not spoken about really locally. Uh, um, people get uncomfortable about it because there's still a lot of reverence for the church. People don't want to upset and to give them voice yeah. in a way, in your own way. So. Yeah. So yes, it was. It was. It was. It felt like uh, I was speaking up for them, and uh, and I had it. I had a chat with a, a book club um, last year in the town, and all a lot of the ladies in that club knew had been to that school or uh, knew people who'd been to that school could remember the orphan and told me about these amazing stories. So it was amazing to. It, that it, it gave them an opportunity to, to, to talk about it as well and that, that felt amazing, that was an amazing moment for me, when they were all telling me their stories, you know um, so yeah, it was, it was liberating yeah. Thank you um, Did you ever find yourself getting stuck at some point? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got stuck for like 10 years <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I mean so I, when, when I finished it uh, uh I was lucky very very early on to get a, an, an agent and she was uh, very gung-ho and she said, yeah, this is, you know, we're, we're, this is going to happen very fast. You can get a publisher and all that. And it didn't happen and I wasn't really happy. She sent out a very early draft of the book and I wasn't really happy with it. And I kept tinkering away and tinkering away and eventually uh, I just thought, oh, I've had enough of this. And I, I left that agent and I put the book away and I just wrote another one. That's how I dealt with Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like I say, I took it out ten years later. So uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm very impatient as well. So I just like I just can't I can't be dealing with this anymore. You know, like there's something wrong with it, but I'm not sure what it is. So just like you know, sometimes you just cannot uh, see, and uh, that distance of ten years helped a lot. <laughs> So did you make other changes other than cutting the cutting the ant? Were there other things you no, did? No, that was literally it. it was was really <laughs> it. Okay. I wasted all those years. It was just I got my husband Will to read it, and because uh, we just so we were chatting one night, and we were just like, well, "What are we going? How are we going to make some money? What are we going to do?" And uh, <laughs> so that's literally how it happened. We were sitting by the fire, and he it's. Uh, you know, he, he read it and uh, he could see straight away. He's like, oh, you don't need that. You don't need her coming to visit and, 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 and chop, 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 chop. And he cut a few pages out and I, was, and I read it. And I was like, actually, that's it. <laughs> it works. It works. It works. And it was literally a case of, you know, I, I just had to change a few tiny little things and that was it. The so, importance of a good beta reader. Good, good editor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You spoke of getting an agent fairly early on. How did you, how did you approach that? Um, I just said, I mean, she must be one of the only agents in Ireland at the time. <laughs> but this time, but I have a new agent now. So this time, when I took it out after 10 years, I basically uh, thought, right, I'm just going to treat this like, you know, this is work or whatever. And I got a spreadsheet and I, took, you know, got a list of names, agents I like the look of, but I like the people they were publishing. And I sent it out to maybe five or 10. And then I... <laughs> And then I, um, uh, oh, because I edited the magazine, and we had, we we feature interviews in each magazine, and so I was trying to get, uh, I contacted this agent to get uh, an interview with Edna O'Brien, 
and mm. she said no. And then I looked at her uh, her website, and uh, she said uh, um, that she was open to submissions. So mm. I sent her book, <laughs> which felt really awkward because you know mm. it was very unprofessional. I was you know speaking to her as the editor of Moth, and then I was like, oh, by the way, mm-hmm. look at this. <laughs> so um, yeah, she, so her actually uh, she's the. Uh, Caroline Michelle so she runs this mm. PFD in London but she her assistant uh, read my book mm. and within a week they were on the phone to me and that was that you know that was that mm. um, so I was just lucky that her assistant picked it up um, but I was literally just going through I was just going to keep going until yeah, you know, until somebody, somebody said yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah and that's and it's really hard really hard to deal with mm-hmm. um rejection and I see it with friends a friend who worked with us in the office and I, and she wrote this beautiful children's book and she literally sent it out to three or four agents and because none of them liked it enough that's it mm. just put it away seen that happen like, as no. well <laughs> it's heartbreaking yeah, yeah it's heartbreaking you feel like yeah, yeah there's yeah. really something there you just need to and there's no convincing her and she's yeah. like oh I'm gonna write something else. you don't need to write anything else. just get yeah. that book published you know um Yes, so keep going. Don't give yeah. up. That's the, that's the yeah. lesson there. And you said you've written a few mm-hmm. novels since then. And and what did you... Did did writing the first one then make it easier? Were there things that you kind of took away from that first process? And Yeah, I think it makes it easier once mm-hmm. you, you get over... Once you prove to yourself that you can do it, mm-hmm. then it's not, you know, it's not insurmountable. And the second one was, I mean, you go, still go through the same, you know, I still went through an awful lot of drafts in the second one. and um, uh, But but I had a lot of fun with it. Mm. It's actually, it's a black comedy, so it's completely different from this. And uh, so that was really fun mm. to do. So. so still dark, but also with more humor. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are, yeah. there's definitely humor in this, in yes. this book yeah, as yeah. well, but yeah. it's um, more subtle, maybe. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, or actually, it's something that I that I ask basically every writer we talk to because it's it's something that I think we all struggle with is that negative voice mm-hmm. in your head that tells you, you know, like your writing sucks, you should just give up now. Your ideas are terrible. You're never going to get published, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And you know, to ask, so how do you how do you deal with that voice? Um, what helps and what does not help? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't. I don't know if I ever feel like my uh, when I'm in the when I'm in the, you're in the middle of it G, mm-hmm. when you're writing something you're so uh, like say so kind of obsessed with the idea mm-hmm. that it, it's, it feels amazing mm-hmm. you know it's only afterwards you know you write something you think that's it I'm a genius or whatever and then the next day you read it and you think that's shockingly bad but then you kind of and then you go and you keep the editing the editing part of it is so important mm-hmm. I think just keep I, I mean I, I I just keep hacking away at stuff mm-hmm. until I'm happy with it um, uh, how do you deal with uh, I don't know um, uh, yeah I, I don't I'm not I, I don't think I've dealt very well with rejection in the past because like I say I literally just put the thing away and just, you know mm-hmm. that wasn't the right way to go about it so uh, but I never stopped writing mm-hmm. so I just felt okay well maybe that's not good enough well then this one is going to be the one and then I just keep going feel that I mean you just feel a compulsion to do it and it's mm-hmm. as simple as that mm-hmm. and the, the joy is in the writing and it's certainly not in the trying to get it published <laughs> and then <laughs> trying to market it and try, all that stuff mm-hmm. is very uncomfortable for writers but the joy is always there so um, you know you just pick yourself up when you mm-hmm. get rejected or whatever 
Ariel. And what is the what is the most joyful part of writing for you? Well, it's usually exciting when you have an idea for mm -hmm. for a book. That that first kind of that feeling, first love, whatever. Um, that's hugely exciting. I suppose it's tough when you get to the middle bit and mm -hmm. you just you know don't know how to carry on. The the beginning is very exciting and the end is very exciting. <laughs> and like I say, I love that. I love the 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 nitty gritty of this the sentences mm -hmm. and the, uh, I love once I have a first draft going back over it and you know polishing and refining and, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah so I kind of enjoy the whole thing even the you know painful bits cause yeah <laughs> that's important yeah 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 and what is your what is your creative process like I mean you've You've got three kids, you've mm -hmm. got the moth, you've got um, the prizes, you've got a retreat center. <coughs> so how do you how do you make room for it um, in your life? Well, like I said, I didn't for a long time. So mm -hmm. I wrote this before all of that. Mm -hmm. I, I wrote the two books, the two, first two novels before all the before the children and the business and stuff. And then in the in the it's nearly ten, ten next year is ten years of moth. So in that time, I've just uh, written some poems, not very much, and a few short stories. And really, the my creative energy went into the magazine. Mm -hmm. um, but then in the last couple of years, since uh, since this uh, all happened with this book, it kind of gave me the courage to go back and write fiction again, longer fiction. So um, I basically. Um, with the advance that I got from this book, I used that to uh, pay someone to come to the office for a few hours a week and use that time to write. So I would write, uh, so I've written another book in the last year or so, and I would basically, it, it, again, it's first person, and it's it was it was very intense, emotionally intense book as well. So I was able to uh, sit at my desk for a couple of hours every morning and write a thousand words and then go to work. And... And then afterwards went back and edited it. Mm -hmm. So I just um, and there, but there are times when I just don't have like now I don't have time yeah. when it's coming up to you know print deadline or whatever. I just don't have time to write. But I'm thinking about stuff, yeah. and, and that's quite good. Writing so in your head, kind of, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And it's actually I think it's actually a good thing as well to let those things kind of simmer away, you know, the back of your mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because your your subconscious is kind of chewing yeah, it's away, working away on for it. And, yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah, and yeah. that subconscious often has better ideas than yeah. your <laughs> exactly. than your rational workaday exactly, mind. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So that makes yeah. that makes total sense to me. So and and I think that's great that you. I think so many of us struggle with guilt over over our writing and mm. struggling to find time for it. And of course, guilt is really not helpful for creativity. No. So yeah. No, I mean, and you can make time. Like I said, I've always worked. Um, I've always worked full time uh, mm -hmm. in editing or whatever, wage thing or whatever I was doing. But um, you can make that time if you really, really mm -hmm. feel compelled to do it. Yeah, um, and it's a joyful time for you know it's what you love doing. So yeah, and you can give yourself an hour. You know, exactly you're an there, hour a day. You get to, yeah. yeah, you can get quite a lot. But usually, time. what happens if you give yourself an hour a day, you, you end up doing more because you get yeah. you know you get stuck into it. Yeah. Um, snowballs hopefully yeah, yeah. yeah i think it would be great to hear a bit about your work with the moth and i think this audience in particular would be very interested to hear you know what are the qualities that attract you to a short story or a poem for the magazine and of course you have your own 
personal uh, likes and dislikes. But um, in it, for short story, I guess I'm looking for characters that I think have re- are really fully realised. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not something that's been dashed off. It's not about oh, I've got this great idea of the story, mm-hmm. and the 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 characters feel real, and I and that that. That, that care has been taken over, mm-hmm. you know, the writing as well, that it's kind of polished. I love I love comedy in, in fiction, um, but I also love kind of anything that's kind of intense mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, whether that's, you know, intensely uh, emotional or erotic or funny or whatever mm-hmm. it is, but, you know, that kind of uh, energy. Yeah, in emotional energy. Yeah, kind of. yeah, yeah, and and the same in poetry. Uh, like I say, just to you, you could you know to know that 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 person has really really put everything into that story mm-hmm. or poem. But it's really subjective, and that's really what the moth started out as, as a little magazine where you know and lit- we're literally just publishing stuff that we like. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. as simple as that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and hope that there are other people out there that like it too. It's quite tricky to say what <laughs> yeah what it is <laughs> what that it attracts is about you a, yeah a story. Yeah, so fully realized characters, which means, yeah, characters that have some some depth and nuance, mm-hmm. and not just mm-hmm. one kind of come across as sort of one note, or or where the characters seem sort of disconnected from what's going yeah, on. Yeah, exactly. The, where the characters are trying to push the story along rather than wow. Well, you know the mean? story is, is the characters, yeah. the, the main <laughs> the main thing, the voice. Yeah, the voice. Yeah. Okay. And are there any things that immediately put you right off? <laughs> yeah, there are lots of things. Um, people who haven't read the submissions page, so they just sent, you know, ten stories in separate emails. <laughs> or to people who email me, dear Mr. Arden, or because our address is Arden Range, and just like, oh, come on. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Clearly you have not put a lot of thought into this yet. Yeah, um, People who've never read them off mm-hmm. submitting work. I mean, you really think it's important. There's no, there's no point in sending work to a magazine you don't know anything about. Mm-hmm. You've got to like the work that's in the magazine. Why? Why would you want your your story to be published in a magazine that you don't like? Mm-hmm. Um, I I sent a rejection email to somebody the other day, and he said, "Oh, I I guess my stories are too callow for you, or not callow enough for you." It's like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> why did you say it <laughs> you know it's bizarre um, so uh, and then after that you know I'm, what what puts me off I don't know N- nothing really. like as long as I get a, a neat submission it's, it's six poems like I asked for or two stories like mm-hmm. I asked for and uh, they've they've read the, they know the guidelines mm-hmm. and they know what's what then mm-hmm. you know I'm very happy to read people's work. It's a privilege. Mm-hmm. And I've learned so much from reading people's work. You know? mm-hmm. How many submissions do you get per month? Um, I don't know. I was trying to figure out the other day. We get thousands per year, so maybe three or four thousand submissions a year, I suppose. And each of those is like two stories or six poems or whatever. So it's quite a lot. Yeah. And it's not a very big magazine. You know, It's only whatever it is, 28 pages. So, yeah, it's hard choices. <laughs> um, like I was in the uh, uh, a masterclass with Billy Collins recently mm-hmm. in Ireland, and he was saying, mm-hmm. you know, every editor is 
is looking for an excuse to stop reading. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's true. You are, because you've got such a huge amount of work to get through. And I also feel like if I get, <laughs> if I'm reading something and I'm thinking, well, no, I'm bored or whatever, then the reader's yeah. going to feel the same way. So you have to tr- really just trust your, your gut reaction to things, which is hard sometimes. Uh, when people come with lists of you know prizes that they've won and whatever, you think, am I missing something? <laughs> but um, you just have to you have to be honest, and uh, and that's what all the material, all the, everything published in the magazine is unsolicited. So, um, and I, I like it like that. Yeah. And are you the sole decider if you've got readers or no? It's you, just, you just just you reading all those thousands well, of submissions. Do you have time to read anything else? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm glad you haven't asked me about what I'm reading. This no, and that's kind of a, a thing. That's one thing I find difficult actually. Um, that I really don't have time or the energy to read anything. You know, mm-hmm. I I try to at night before I go to sleep. I'm like <laughs> a few pages in. So no, all my reading really is done that way. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And you said you'd learned a lot from... Yeah, from, yeah, from I do. Uh, like, we've published some... Um, like I was looking through um, some old issues the other day, and I noticed that we'd published Claire Louise Bennett. I don't know if you know her, but um, to Book Pond. We published her back in 2011 or something, and I'd forgotten. <laughs> but it must have been one of her first stories. And it's just amazing to see that... that and Or, like, we published the story of Sarah Bones or... Rob Doyle or Keelan Hughes, all these mm. people—they're kind of first or second or third story that mm. they've written, and it's the, and I, I love that, and I love the energy of those uh, the, the the writing from people who are just starting out and they're really mm-hmm. kind of putting everything into it. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so it's it's a nice nice position to be in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any other questions? Rebecca. I'm curious about the uh, with thinking of the moth. How you grapple with the print online changes that are that are, that are yeah. Well, that was from the start. We uh, we made uh, so Will and I made a conscious decision that we wanted to produce an artifact, yeah. something beautiful. You know, well we think is beautiful anyway. But you know, with the with the visual art and all that. So. Um, even now, we don't feel like we should go down the. Di- uh, I don't know. We talk about it every year. We talk about well, should we have a digital edition of the of the moth? But uh, I don't know. It just <laughs> struck up with it. Of course, you could. Yeah, we we could we could. But I just I like that. Th- I I love the 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 whole uh, production of the thing. Mm. I love when it arrives yeah. in the office and it smells of print for a week afterwards. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, Obviously, there's the environment to think of, so you know we'll keep having that conversation <laughs> about digital. Well, um, it's only thin. <laughs> it's only yeah, it's a little. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wanted a quick question. I'm, I'm just curious about the redraft process. Um, mm. If you've gone back to look at your first version, and how different that would be to your final product. Um, of the novel. Of the novel. Yeah. Yes. I don't know, I've never done it, but um, I don't think, in this case, I don't think it would be massively different. Um, I think right from, I mean, the way, maybe maybe the most difference would be between the first and second draft. You know, so I very quickly, like I wrote the first draft maybe in three months, and then after that, 
there were you know there were many drafts but maybe the second maybe that would be the big difference between those two because that's what you know I just got it down first of all so I guess the second draft then would have been a lot more kind of line editing and that kind of thing yeah do you tend to try and just push forward to the end or are you one of those people who kind of edits as they as they go along yeah I tried to yeah um, I tried to do more of that with the book I just wrote. I <clears throat> tried to just push and put, you know, and, and resist the temptation to edit. But mm-hmm. generally, I would do a bit of both. I would kind of tinker a little bit and then just try and go right and go, you know, another <coughs> five hundred words or whatever. But yeah, like uh, with the, with the one I just wrote, I did try to resist that because I wanted to have that kind of, uh, uh, you know, emotional kind of intensity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, mm. mm-hmm. okay. Do you write by hand or electronic? Um, electronic, because I'm a fast typist. Because I, I was, I learned touch typing when I was a kid. And my first job when I uh, when I left university was teaching touch typing. So, <laughs> <laughs> so practically, it just you know, it, uh, especially writing a sort of stream of consciousness type book, which the last one was. If you can touch, if you can touch type, it's quite useful. Um, I, you know, I use a notebook to jot down ideas and things, and for poetry as well. But more and more, it's on my phone rather than a notebook. Yeah. And who are the writers who really made you want to write? When I was younger, or just <laughs> however you want to answer the question. <laughs> um. I don't know. When I was a teenager, I, it's the usual stuff, isn't it? Like uh, The Catcher in the Rye. I love Catch-22, I remember as a teenager. Um, there are cer- certain books throughout my life I remember thinking, oh my God. Um, I remember reading Dave Eggers' heartbreaking work of Staggering Genius and thinking, wow, that's amazing, you know. Um, or uh, Tom McCarthy's Remainder. Just adored that book as well. Um, there are just a few, like, they're standout books. I... Um, I was really drawn to um, African-American literature when I was at university. I sort of loved um, James Baldwin and Toni Morrison. And there was an amazing book by Jean Toomer called Kane. And I just, it's, it's a really beautiful, uh, beautiful book. Um, there weren't books in, in, in our house when I was growing up. So it was like, there was a few random, there was the encyclopedias and um, a few random paperbacks you know so sounds like my house yeah <laughs> Wuthering Heights was one we did that at school and I love that um yeah so and your house was the same where you just yeah it's yeah. that dark moody atmosphere yeah. for Wuthering Heights yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah you can see that yeah um oh, I love stuff like Pride and Prejudice and Sense and Sensibility mm-hmm. when I was a teenager you know and I love poetry from when I was, like I said, from when I was really young. In fact, the, the, I remember deciding I was going to be a poet, actually, when I read um, Enid Blyton's Treasury of Verse, which my aunt gave to me <laughs> when I was seven. And it was be- this beautiful hardback with these lovely, these sweet poems that were beautifully illustrated. And uh, I just adored that book. So I think that's when I started trying to write poetry. Uh, maybe also when the when that germ of wanting to produce something beautiful with the pictures, well. and the, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly yeah. yeah, it yeah. does make a difference yeah. that how you how you experience the mm-hmm. work. I think if that's something that's <coughs> mm-hmm. 
yeah, an artifact like you. Like and I did that as a teenager. My room was covered in in mm-hmm. writing. I would write stuff on the wall. Like remember writing bits from Love T. S. Eliot and Sylvia Plath and so on. I'd have lines from the poems on the wall, and then a picture next to it. And, the, and I did it all the way up the ceiling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so my room was completely plastered in poems and stories and whatever. Just like that. <laughs> how how do you feed yourself creatively? You know, I I have the same problem in terms of you know I almost all the reading I do is for my work, and then I then you know reading just for the pleasure, just for the inspiration is mm. is very difficult. Um, so, and what what are the things that feed your creative mm-hmm. self? Well, like I say, I, yeah, the, I read for work, and I but then. You know, amazing things pop up, mm-hmm. and that's it's, and that's that really well, enriching yeah. through work. Um, um, I play, I sing, and play the guitar, and that's my kind of thing mm-hmm. to escape and to allow my, yeah, my thoughts to roam. So yeah, mm-hmm. um, I do that, and um, I don't know. I suppose it sounds cheesy, but I am inspired by the kids. They do feed a lot into my poetry, especially for them. But yeah. Um, <clears throat> Because they, you know, kids come out with such funny things, and and they, they, and then you and you see the world differently with them as well. Like so, you know, I, I, I was, we were thinking today, and we were walking around. It's so much, so much more fun when the kids are with us, like looking at cities, you know, ex- ex- experiencing cities because you, you know, see things with them that you wouldn't otherwise see. So yeah, they, them and uh, and I sneak the odd book in, like I said, mm. I try to read. <laughs> Any other questions for Rebecca? I'm curious about your feelings about the sense of place. It was interesting to me that you didn't mention in, in writerly points of inspiration any of you know, the choice Beckett, etc. Um, and yeah, the, 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 no, the novel is clearly Irish, quite mm-hmm. very, very Irish. Um, can you? Anything about that? <laughs> um, I don't. Uh, well, does Irishness play an important role in in what you do? I don't think so. I think I just I I, I I'm I was trying to recreate that particular place, and it's Irish, and I'm Irish, so. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I yeah, I don't feel that strongly. I've never felt that strongly, really. I mean, I love Irish writers. I love Beckett in particular, but. <laughs> I've never felt a particular kind of affinity. Right. Uh, I don't think. Um, I think it's accidental, you know, really, where you're from. Oh, okay. Did you study creative writing? No. Um, no, I did a, a degree in English literature. Yeah. And then you worked as an editor as well, didn't you? Yeah, I went to London, did a master's in, in American history, and then I and then I worked in editing, mm-hmm. which also kind of it, it is a way of uh, learning about creative writing as well. It sure is, but it's and... also it's a little bit of kind of sidestepping mm-hmm. the issue as well, not facing the fact that that's what you really want to do. <laughs> you know? But yeah, having said that, I mean it's all it all ties in. Editing is part of the writing process, so uh, you know. And I do love that too. So. Alison, um, yeah, the other the subsequent novels that you've written are they coming out anytime soon? Or? I don't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> One of them is just going out to 
do the rounds, publishers. Um, and you're still with the same agent. I'm with the same agent, yeah. but not necessarily the same publisher. Yeah. Yeah. Which is tricky because the, the, this publisher didn't go for the second book, which is, um, it's set in London and it's, um, you know, he's a 30-year-old man and he's he's having a kind of breakdown and he his wife disappears and he thinks that he can communicate with his plant. And his plant is going to help him find out what's happened to his wife. So it... <laughs> it wasn't it sounds really, like a very different book. <laughs> it's a very different book, and it wasn't really going to appeal to as far as they yeah. so to the same market. And it's all so much about marketing these days. You know, you creating a brand. You know, creating a, the author is the brand. You know, did the publisher do a good job for you, giving you exposure or marketing the book? Um, yeah, it was okay. I mean, I think it's difficult for a debut novel, and I think they're very much um, focused on prizes and they're almost kind of, they're all kind of going please let her be shortlisted for you know this prize or that prize and when that doesn't happen it's like they they're they, there's a little bit of deflation that happens i think they're like all oh, right okay it makes their job harder then because it's so much about that because that's how you you know that's how you get sales so it's been let's say it's been uh it's been a kind of it's kind of an uncomfortable feeling yeah, being published being on the other side you know for me and realizing how kind of um, tricky the whole thing is, the whole mm. business is these days. You have to be pretty thick-skinned. You think, you know, I mean, you think when you're not published that it's once you're published, that's it. You know, you're you're made. But it's, mm-hmm. it's not that straightforward anymore. Anyway, maybe it was before, but certainly um, not and that straightforward. Does the publisher, sorry, does the publisher organize? all of the marketing for you or are you expected to also take initiative to um, organize stuff for yourself i think they would like you to take initiative and I, I to be honest i didn't i didn't really do a whole lot because well i don't have time you know um, but i think they i think that publishers really like authors to be active these days and have like twitter accounts and instagram <coughs> and to actively go out and contact people and ask for readings and do all that kind of stuff you know I think that's yeah, yeah. more and more. Yeah. Mm. How about translations? Um, well, that would be down to the agent um, trying to sell uh, foreign rights. So you yeah. go to fairs and international. Books? They would go, to, yeah, Frankfurt and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm quite amazed and inspired by your story that you started at age seven and to hear you, you know, writing poems and sticking mm-hmm. it on the walls and then having moved into studying English literature and working at a newspaper. So it seems quite in this writing world. Um, so what advice would you give to somebody like me, who's actually not from this world, whose life is surrounded by numbers? I work in the financial industry, I'm an accountant, um, but I feel that I can write and I want yeah. to write. So I don't really know what next steps are. Is it to maybe go more academic, to try and study and learn as much, or to just write? Well. I mean, some. I, I think you just have to write. <laughs> I think it's as simple as that. I mean, it doesn't matter what your job is. Um, I didn't always work in publishing, you know. I always, yeah, I kind of cut out a path for myself, I suppose. I was sort of headed in that direction. That that's, I decided that's what I was going to do. But, um, you know, I did other jobs along the way. Um, but making just making time to write. Um, academic, I don't know about, I mean... I don't know about studying creative writing, doing a you know a degree or a master's in creative writing. Um, if you can do it, if you can afford to do it and take the time out, then it's amazing to have the time, isn't it, to write? Um, 
And you don't have to do an NFA, of course. You can just do courses. You can just do courses. Yeah. Courses. yeah. And, and yeah. But that's what I mean, like doing courses and getting an actual kind of formal understanding of the technical side of writing. And writing lots okay. of rubbish. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and then something good will come out. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Okay. Um, your protagonist is a teenage girl um but your writing is much more of an adult you're not targeting it seems the young adult kind of readers you're targeting adult readers but mm. you have a, a younger protagonist how did that inform your writing or did it have any or did you start off thinking you wanted to have a young woman but you're going to be coming in as a slightly more mature version of the same yeah i never thought of it as a novel for teenagers it was always very much an adult novel yeah. about, about being a teenager. Um, um, like I say, she's yeah, she's maybe she's maybe eighteen or nineteen, looking back on herself at fifteen. But she's still very young. her voice is still quite young. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm <laughs> confronting the same question yeah. in something I'm writing too, so I'm yeah. just interested in that perspective. Yeah, I don't know, and I think some people have had maybe difficulty believing she's a bit. She's she's young. She's she's innocent though. You know, she's come from a very kind of rural background as well, so she's not. She's not a kind of urbane character, you know. She's kind of. Uh, uh, yeah, she has an innocence about her. So, have you um, ever thought about writing for young adults? You have your yeah, kids are not quite at that age yet. No, so I, I did. I wrote a book. Uh, so I was working, I was temping in London and I was working on the re a reception desk and I wasn't, you, you literally couldn't do anything but, you know, answer the odd phone call. I wasn't allowed to try and actually do some work in this place. Mm -hmm. so I was bored out of my head. So I was writing a children's book while I was. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, I wrote that and I, I um, got it all wrong. And it's so it's like the story is kind of seven to nine, but the voice is older. So I didn't know what I was doing. I was just, I was just trying to entertain myself because I took it out recently to look at. Again, thinking, oh, how can I make some money? <laughs> <laughs> um, so yes, I have, but I don't know if I'd, uh, I don't know if I'd go there again. It's actually really hard. Mm. I don't know if any of you write for children, but I think it's incredibly difficult to get the, to get that tone just right for a particular age group. It's incredibly difficult. Yeah, yeah, and they are publishers are so you know there are such rules around you know what's appropriate for what age groups and mm. the and the the different sort of age mm. bands that they're interested yeah it's in. a minefield yeah yeah, yeah. okay yeah okay, emmanuel yeah uh just a sort of full of my own sometimes uh when you grow older sometimes you sort of um make your uh, your memories of adolescence so much brighter than the actual experience was you know you are idealizing it i don't know if it's an english mm. word or, yeah mm. I, I don't think i, I idealized um, that time but maybe i romanticized it uh -huh. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so you don't no, think so no no but i mean it's dark but it's like but i mean she of... she feels the main character for her, you know, like everything is so dramatic. She, it's a big romance for her. It's a huge romance. It's a huge yeah. romance. Yeah. But as a reader, that's not the way. Mm. As a reader, you see kind of how 
difficult and fraught and and kind of yeah grim mm. in some ways um teenagerhood is and and all of the and negotiating that yeah. minefield of friends and boyfriends and yeah. sex and yeah. alcohol alcohol yes so i think i i i idealized it a bit myself in that the the family the the family dynamic is so kind of uh benign in a way I don't think my fa- my family was that straightforward. <laughs> I know it's complicated the the, the, the stories in the past, but the relationship between her and her mother and father is quite sweet, and I didn't want that to play a big kind of part. Yeah. In it. Uh, yeah. So in a way, that was like ideal kind of yeah. family unit. <laughs> Although you know, I mean, I they're, they're, not, they're, not, they're not perfect. No, There's some you know benign neglect going on. They're like, oh, we'll give you the room in the basement with no heating. It's okay. <laughs> Um, minor stuff yeah. <laughs> yeah but no I mean I think I think I think that can be really difficult to capture actually and I think that's one of the real strengths of the book is that you were able to kind of walk that line between you know like her view of it and then you know what we're seeing and experiencing as the reader which is not quite the not quite the same thing, and I think a lot of it comes from, you know, those really dark and moody details, you know, starting it in a cemetery, for example, <laughs> when there are love blossoms. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, final questions, and then we'll. Oh, yep. Yeah. When I was reading the book, uh, I was really struck by the, the importance of humidity. It's the rain. It's the snow. It's the sweat constantly it's it's just and I was it really struck me really from the first page and I was wondering if it's something you did absolutely on purpose because you wanted to create a sort of sense of an ease or is it kind of something that came out just kind of naturally? Um, I think it was like I say I was no, I was living in the UK and writing in front of my home place and it's pretty wet yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah I, yeah I mean, moody kind of weather even, and yeah, you know yeah. like yeah really but, yeah. but there was the sweat as well I mean it's yeah. always there it's mentioned well, for her it's mentioned for Leon yeah well I suppose it's that visceral well. visceral quality that mm. you know when you first become interested in sex and all of that it, you know I wanted to get that across I suppose yeah and the massive nervousness and mm-hmm. embarrassment yeah, involved exactly. in yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. all of that yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I remember a feeling of when <laughs> well, walking into town past the, the the garage shop where this boy I fancied works and I'd feel the heat rising up my back <laughs> and my face turn, you know, completely red by the time I got to the garage. Just thinking about it, I was like, ooh. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember that feeling? You know, it was horrible. <laughs> you captured it well. <laughs> okay. Anyone else? Or we will wrap it up. All right. Well, thank you very much, Rebecca. This has been very inspiring. Um, We will have some refreshments afterwards, and there are copies of the book for sale. That's it for today. We hope you enjoyed the recording. You can find more information about the Masterclass series and our regular fiction and poetry courses at internationalwriterscollective.com.